0: Uh, Mark chapter ten verses forty two through forty five uh, this is by the way, this is the culmination of Jesus who is in the process of teaching his disciples about his his death, burial, and resurrection that is to come. And in the midst of that, every time in these three chapters that he brings up that he is going to the cross to be crucified, something happens. The disciples give this prideful, self-consumed response. And after he gives this self-consumed response, Jesus comes back to them and he teaches them a principle On servant leadership. I want to give you all three of them. It starts in Mark chapter eight, but I'll read you the culmination of it Mark 10, 42 through 45. It says, So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Verse 43, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. When I was in high school, I think it was my, my sophomore, it may have been my junior year, uh, they made this horrible decision to get rid of the pizza that we all loved. It was like some initiative for healthier kids and healthier schools and just one of those Horrible decisions that you could make. And I mean, it was that good kind. You know, like for us, it was that kind that was a square. It fit right in that place in your lunch tray, right? It was not a piece. It was the square, and you had this big square in your lunch tray, and then you had the three ones in the spot for your drink. It it was a perfect square. It fit right there, had all this meat and cheese and cardboard bottom. It was perfect. We loved it, and they got rid of it. And I said, you know what? We'll teach them a lesson. So I organized a school lunch strike at my school. No lie. I, got to all, I went to all of my friends, and I said, here's what we're doing. On this day, it was Friday, because on Fridays we got the pizza, and they did it with pizza. I said, on Friday, nobody eats school lunch. Spread the word. Everyone bring five bucks nobody, and I mean nobody, is eating school lunch. So they spread throughout the hallways, and we planned this whole thing, and I called the local pizza shop. It was Gambino's Pizza in Spring Hill, Kansas, and I said, we need 25 large pizzas delivered to the school at 1142. That's when the lunch bell rings, okay? So I got all of this set up, 119 kids in my class, 1142. Lunchtime comes on Friday. We all sit down in the cafeteria, and Mr. Long, he was our counselor. He was walking through, and and he's, he's like, hey, guys, you, your table's up. You guys are ready to go get lunch. No, none of us. None of us. We're not going. I like, really? Okay. This, and then all of a sudden, two pizza guys that took two of them to deliver the pizza show up to the front doors of the school. I popped up pressed open the door, handed him a wad of cash, took the pizzas, and began distributing them out at the tables. And everyone began begging on their tables, and they began screaming, no pizza, no lunch. No pizza, no lunch. No pizza, no lunch. And we owned the place. The strike was on. The rebellion was at hand. Our principal, Mr. Burke, came out there, and I'm talking, you should have seen how red his face was. He was about to explode, but it already rolled over to a place that he couldn't control. The riot was on. The inmates are running the asylum. We had the place. Everyone's pulling pizza out. They're banging on the tables. No pizza. No lunch. And I'm sitting there in the middle of it all like, here it is. Challenge me in this and see what I shall do, right? We had him. Had him in the middle of it. And Bert comes out there and he looks at me and he says, Cunningham, my office now. Takes me back to his office and he's not there. And so I'm sitting in his office. I'm like, wow, I won this one. Really got it. Really stuck it to him. Bet your, car, bet your pizza, pizza's back next Friday. I promise you that. You know, I'm just sitting there. And finally he walks in there. He sits down across from me, and he just starts laughing. He just just starts laughing. <laughs> and he looked across the table, and I'll, I'll tell you this, a moment I'll never forget. Teachers, principals, educators, those of you that are online that fulfill those roles, I want to tell you something. You have no idea the impact that you can have on a student. I will, you talk about a turning point for me. This is one of those, I'm sharing it with our church. This is a moment I remember vividly. Burke sits down, he's just chuckling to himself. He's laughing. He's like, <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, Luke, he said, you are an incredible leader. He said, You are, I don't know in my 20 years of being a principal that I could find another student that could have organized something like that. He said, I'll, I'll hand it to you. You are an incredible leader. He said, you're also a rebel without a cause. He said, you are a rebel without a cause. And he said, you have no idea what you're leading for. And then he said this. I I'll never forget it. He said, if you figure out what's worth leading for, you're going to make an incredible impact. And he said, by the way, you're suspended a week, right? I was like, can we go back just to that heart-touching moment where you just really, man, you really changed me there, Burke. You really transformed me there. But he said that, and that is stuck in my mind since I was a junior in high school. 20 years ago. That's horrifying to say. But 20 years ago when I was a junior in high school, you are an incredible leader But you're a rebel without a cause. And if you ever figure out what's worth leading for, you're going to make an incredible impact. Same to you. I believe everyone in here is an incredible leader. I believe everyone in here has the potential to be an incredible leader. I believe everyone in here is a leader. You're saying, nope, no way, I'm not a leader, nobody follows me. Everybody is a leader because everybody has at least one person following them, and that's you. You're following the lead for your life. You're following the path that you set. You're following the things that you do. You're following your thoughts. You're following your heart. You're following your actions. You are leading you. So everybody in here is a leader of at least one person. And many of you are leaders of many more. So the question becomes, what does real leadership look like? What does real? What is I'm not talking about a 60-second clip on Instagram or a cool infographic or a really good book. I am talking about the heart of gospel-paved leadership. What does leadership at the heart of the cross, the character of Jesus, what does it look like? Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10 gives us those answers, and Jesus gives them to us himself. Let's start Mark chapter 8. Mark 8, 31 through 32, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a pattern. Jesus predicts his crucifixion, The disciples have a self-righteous response, and then Jesus teaches them a point on servant leadership. So here we go, Mark 8, 31-32. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples... Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Mark chapter 8, verse 33. Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are only seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. What do we have the tendency to do in leadership? To see it from a human point of view to see a profit margin, to see people who are or aren't doing their job, to see any sort of gaps, to see it from a human point. Of view, he said, your, your leadership is only right here. It's not, it's not where it needs to be. You're only looking at things from a human point of view. And then he takes them a step deeper, Mark 8, 34 through 35. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you will save it. Real leadership. At the heart of real leadership. After Jesus tells them he's going to the cross, but he's going to rise, and they reprimand him for it, and then he teaches them, real leadership is about sacrifice, not self-promotion. Real leadership, when we talk about this type of leadership, we're talking about sacrifice, not self-promotion. It's not what can I get out of it, but what can I give up for it? What can I so into it. If we look at just sacrifice in and of itself, sacrifice has always been the route to pleasing God. If you trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, you see Cain and Abel and a sacrifice that pleased God. If you go to Noah in Genesis chapter 8, you see Noah giving a sacrifice that was a pleasing aroma to God. Abraham and Isaac, Genesis chapter 22, Abraham had faith to offer God the sacrifice that he deserved, that he desired. In Job 1.5, Job offers for his sins a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. The Passover lamb, Exodus chapter 12, is an offering, a sacrifice, so that God would pass over their homes and lead them to freedom, to the promised land. When we look through sacrifice, all the instructions in the book of Leviticus, sacrifice pleases God. So then Jesus is given to us as a sacrifice for us, Paul says in Ephesians 5:2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we know sacrifice pleases God. It creates intimacy with God. It creates connection with God. It is a way to worship God, to encounter God, to reconcile with God. We know this. Jesus comes. Jesus is our sacrifice now so that we can connect with God. And what are we called to do? Romans 12 verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done with you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Sacrifice, not self-promotion, pleases God. When he's giving them a lesson on leadership, he is saying to them, learn how to be sacrificial. Learn how to give something up. I love reaching lost students. I did that for a number of years as a student pastor. We still do that when college is in session. Man, I, I had one last semester. Some of you will really laugh about this. He came up to me after church one Sunday, and he said, I'll never hear is so funny. He said, Father Luke, he said, I have not been to mass since I was a kid, and that was incredible. He said, I did not know you could do music like that at mass said, it was amazing. I started laughing. I said, let me guess, you have a Catholic background, huh? He said, how do you know that? I don't know, a little giveaway there, but you're in a little different water here, bud, but it's the same Jesus, we're, we're ready to worship him, you know, but I mean, I love, there was a time when I was a student pastor, we had this kid named Alex who got radically saved, he's a really good guitar player, he had like five colors of hair, the gauged ears, the gigantic jeans and chains everywhere and everything, and he gets radically saved at a youth event, and he's an incredible guitar player, I said, hey, why don't you play the electric guitar in our student worship band, he was like, dude, that would be awesome, I'll play so he's up there, and I mean, he is shredding on the guitar, and he's with everyone. He invited all of his lost friends to come see and play at church, and they all sat on the front row, and they were all making fun of him, and they were like, pointing at you know, making fun of all the people, and he's sitting there shredding. Finally, he gets mad enough at him, and he flips him off right there from the stage. As he's, as he's leading worship, he flips off his friends, and then he's, he's arguing back and forth, and they're like singing, salvation is here, right? And, and he's like, I'm ready to fight. And I'm like, well, well, this is what happens, right? When you reach them and you throw them on stage, you never know what sign language you're going to get. But I, I love reaching people. should be the heartbeat. We should embrace that tension of those awkward moments to reach people. So we reached this one kid, and I remember he was a great leader and he was out of control at the same time. He's the same kid who he and all of his friends, they invited me after he got saved at a youth camp. They filled up their trunk with all of their drugs. He had an Altoid box with an eight ball of cocaine in it. They had a gallon bag of weed and all this stuff. And they invited me to this park. They wanted to burn their drugs. And they invited me. They popped the trunk. When it opened up, I was like, whoa. whoa, whoa, whoa. Y'all are carrying that and I'm staying 50 feet away and we're going to light it on fire somewhere and don't get too close. Y'all are going to be messed up for a little bit, right? But it was just crazy kid. And so he's and he comes to me, and he said, hey, what am I able to do now? Like, now that I'm a Christian, what is that? I mean, what does that mean? Can I smoke weed because it's from the earth but give up cigarettes? Can I drink when I'm like 19 or 20? He's like 15 at the time. He's like, can I start drinking when I'm a little bit older and not do it when I drive? Sexually, like what can I do? Is it first base, second base? Can I get a lead off? If she's really cute, can I steal third? Like what, what, are, my, what are my boundaries here? He's trying to figure it out, right? And I remember looking at him and I said to him, I said, Andy, you are asking the wrong question." He's like, okay, okay, what do I need to ask? And I said, the question is not, what can I get away with? Or what can I keep doing? The question is, what am I willing to give up? What am I willing to give up and to lay aside so that I can honor Jesus with my life? So that other people can see that I'm honoring Jesus. That kid nearly reached his entire high school. And he reached them because they saw him giving things He was no longer going to parties. He was no longer carrying around all these drugs. He was no longer selling drugs to his friends. He was no longer getting in all of this. He decided with his life to be sacrificial, to lay something down. And when he started sacrificing, his leadership skyrocketed. He became somebody worth following because he was willing to to sacrifice. Let me, let me just ask you this. What does your home right now need more of? More selfish people or more sacrificial people? What do you need more out of in your kids? What do you need more of, out of in your spouse? What do you need more of in your marriage? What do you need more of in your business? What do you need more of? You don't need more selfish people. You need more sacrificial people. You need people who are willing to lay down pride, to lay down arrogance, to lay down agenda, to lay down anger, to lay down their own self-promotion and be willing to sacrifice, be willing to lay something down. The first lesson in servant leadership that Jesus gives his disciples after predicting his crucifixion is to learn to sacrifice. Learn to lay your life down. Learn to be sacrificial. You want to be somebody worth following? Learn to sacrifice, not self-promote. Mark 9, 31 through 32. Comes back to him again. And it says, For he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them: The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. Same story. Verse 32. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Mark 9, 33-34, here's their response. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? Verse 34, but they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Where's their head at? The first time their head was at an earthly perspective, this time they're just trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest. Man, we're on Team Jesus, and if we're all on Team Jesus and I'm batting in the three-hole on Team Jesus, i got to be the best, right? i got to be the man. i got to be the, the, the most important one. Mark 9, 35-37. It says, he sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Verse 36. Then he put a little child among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me not only welcomes me, but my father Who sent me? In other words, he is saying, if you will realize something, that welcoming a child, that's someone who can't give you any status, that's someone who can't give you any prominence, that's someone who can't pay you back. He's saying, if you'll learn to be welcoming like that, you'll experience real leadership is about submission, not about status. It's not about figuring out who's going to be the greatest. I want to be the greatest. No, I want to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. And then Jesus comes and says, what are you guys thinking? And they're like, "Mm, mm, I don't don't know. And he says, why don't you just figure out how to welcome a child instead? Why don't you figure out how to walk in a little bit of humility and learn to submit rather than to chase status? I will tell you, personally, um, this really challenged me. Who was, do you remember the marriage season that we went through in uh, February when we had Roger here? Thank you, Roger. Yeah, Maggie, I know you do. Thank you, Roger, for blowing up my whole household. Let me explain to you. Men in my house have always been the king. Men are the king of my house. Dad, grandpa, everyone, they have the same chair that they sit in. They, have, they are in control of the remote, and they are in control of the thermostat. And to challenge them in that will cost you your life. It is just that simple. I'm not kidding you. It was like when dad walked in, he got, up and got out of his chair, he sat in his chair. If you had the remote, you gave him the remote, and if the house is too hot, boy, well, you better fix it quick. Who bumped that thing up above 70? I want their head on a platter now, right? It was just men. Men were the king. Men were the man. Men were the boss. Men were the alphas. And so what if I naturally tried to sew in and ingrain in my house? I got my own chair. Don't touch the remote. And it's already set at 68. So go messing around you'll get your hand chopped off, right? I just thought, man, that's normal. Man's the king, right? So then Roger comes and Roger explains the dynamics of his household. And he said, hey, he said, my wife, she's the queen. I'm like, check, got that. My wife, she's the queen. She's queen. He said, my my sons, they didn't want to be princes because they thought that was, you know, a little little too much like princess. It sounded a little too much. So my sons, they wanted to be the warriors, the knights. So he's like, okay, they're the knights. I'm like, "Mm, got that. My boys are knights. They're killers, man. They're warriors. Got it all figured out. And then he said, now, he said, my daughter, she's the princess. And I was like, of course. Mine's the princess of my home. I'm on board, brother. I'm, I'm tracking what you're spitting right now. Come on. Amen in him, right? And then he said, and then he said, There is one king of my house. And I'm like, here it is. Let him know. Let him know. Preach this marriage thing out, right? And he said, Jesus is the king of my home. And I, amen, women, right? But when you hear, <laughs> you hear the women are like, Amen. <laughs> Tell him that. He says, Jesus is the king of my home. And I was like, Okay, still here, right? And he said, now all these people, what do they need? They need a servant. They need somebody to serve them. They don't need a king. They have a king. Jesus is king. They don't need a queen, and I'm no queen anyway. They don't need princes. They don't need princesses. They don't need knights. All of these people need a servant. Where is their servant? Oh, all right. Can I tell you something? It's uh, my kids got out of school on Wednesday. <sighs> yeah. Been home Thursday. Been home Friday. Been home all weekend. My kids, without when they aren't in rhythm, they're like, Wild horses! In a, in it, you just can't contain them. You can't stop them. There's something broken. So my my house has been crazy, and I have been there, and I'm there tomorrow because we had this great idea to close the office on Memorial Day. So now I'm in I'm at home tomorrow with them and everything, and it's just been it's been wild crazy chaos. I got a six-month-old. I got a five-year-old. I got a seven-year-old. And I have my my sweet and awesome who's watching at home, beautiful wife at home. And you know what all of them need? They don't need a king walking around saying, why are there still dishes in the sink? And why are there clothes that aren't folded? And where are all the shower towels? Can I get a little service around here? Can I get a little help? You know what they need? They need a servant. And you know when my marriage is the best and my relationship with my kids is the best and there is peace in my home, there are peace inside of our walls, when everyone is getting along, man, you're already laughing. You're like, don't say it. Don't say it. You know when everything is great and everything is wonderful and everything is thriving as it should be, you know what I am? Servant. You know when things go off the rails? When I try to be a king, what did Jesus say? Learn to be a servant. Learn to submit. Learn to. And you know what else? I'll tell you this. I don't get near as many attaboys as I thought I would. I don't. You know how many times my kids look at me after I sweep back through the kitchen and pick up all the dishes that are dirty and throw away the trash and load them up in the dishwasher? You know how many times they say, hey, Dad, good job. Great looking out, Dad. Way to be a servant, man. Awesome work, you know, not not as many, not as much as my flesh would like, but do you know what is happening in my home? Jesus is being honored. Jesus is being honored. He's being honored with my kids. He's being honored in my marriage. He's being honored in my family, and when we learn to be servants, I just did a wedding. uh, I think it was last weekend. Uh, they're, They're probably still on their honeymoon, but they washed each other's feet, and at first I was like, really? Like, what are we doing here? And, they, and then they did it. And it was one of the most beautiful things I'd seen. Because it was a couple who was saying, we're going to start our wedding on our hands and knees serving one another. We're going to start our marriage like this. It's not about me. It's about you. Let me wash your feet. It's not about me. It's about you. You sit there and let me wash your feet. And I told them, I said, if you will keep that posture in your family, and just remember that the greatest of you is a servant, you're going to have an incredible marriage. What does Jesus say? Real leadership is about submission, not status. It's not trying to be the king. It's not trying to be the queen. It's trying to beat each other to being the servant of the home. And then he finishes Mark 10, 32-34. He says, They were now... On their way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said. You'd think they'd get it by the third time around. He said, we're going to go up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him. Flog him with whip and kill him, but after three days he will rise again. Ironically, we've heard that two other times, right? Mark 10, 35 through 41. It says, then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Can you guys figure this out? But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on the right or on the left. God has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. When the ten disciples heard what Jesus, and, what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were furious. They were frustrated. So Mark ten forty-two through forty-five, we read it at the beginning. Jesus called them all together again. Same setting. He's like. I tell you, my death, burial, resurrection is coming. You have some selfish, self-centered response. Let me bring you back to the heart of what all of this means. You know the rulers in this world lord it over all their people, and, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. It should be different. It should look different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, Real leadership is not about success, it is about service. How can I serve? Not what am I going to get in return, but how can I simply serve? How do I become a servant? The Greek word that he used for servant means to execute the commands of another. He's speaking in context of himself. He's saying, learn to do what I ask you to do. Not try to figure out who's going to be great, or who's going to get this, or who's going to sit at my right hand. Just do what I'm asking you to do. And then the word for slave is doulos. It's the masculine of doula. We know what a doula is, right? It is somebody who helps somebody going through a very serious medical experience, be it childbirth or death. So he's saying, in effect, if you'll do what I say and you will learn to support and love and encourage other people, you will be a leader in my kingdom. But you have to realize this. It is about service, not success. I'm, I'm hesitant, I love this story to close about Chick-fil-A, and I, I know my Chick-fil-A brother, I am very hesitant to bring up Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, because invariably, what I get is a text message of a picture of an empty parking lot, and an empty drive through and they're like, why would you put this in my mind on a Sunday when I can't get it, right? Why would you talk about Chick-fil-A on the one day we can't go get Christian chicken? So, anyway... <clears throat> True Kathy, he's the founder of Chick-fil-A, and they were at this point long ago in their organization where they were beginning to really take off and there was this new competitor that came in and they started this competitive challenge against them. It was called the Boston Chicken Company, which later became Boston Market. Anyone familiar with Boston Market? My goodness, the mashed potatoes and gravy on that chicken is out as well. I think they're open on Sundays. No, I'm just kidding. They're actually going rapidly out of business and it's going to make sense here in the story. So the Chick-fil-A leadership team is all meeting together and they're talking about how do we get bigger faster. How do we get bigger faster to overcome this, to get a competitive advantage against this newcomer into our industry? And finally, after several hours of deliberating, Truett Cathy is sitting at a conference table, and they said he he started knocking his fist on the conference table, which was very uncharacteristic of his leadership. And so they saw him, and after he got the attention of everybody in the room, he looked at everybody, and he said, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about all this talk about how do we get bigger faster. I don't want to talk anymore about how we get bigger faster. And then he dropped this bomb that has become a foundational piece for Chick-fil-A and organizations all over the world. He said, if we get better, our customers will demand we get bigger. He said, if we will just get better, If we'll focus on getting better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. And since then, they they are the fastest growing chain in the country and rapidly expanding. But what was his focus? It wasn't about success. It was about service. It wasn't about how great can I become, but who can I serve. You know, for us as a church, we are we are going to grow and we are going to expand and we're going to continue reaching tons of people, but we're not going to be doing it by being consumed with getting bigger. We just need to consume with being loving people better. How do we love people better? How do we care for people better? How do we impact our community better? If that is our focus, we'll transform this community and many more that are neighboring us. If in my home, I just show up and say, how can I make my home better? How can I make my home better? Not how can I be served more and how can I become the king, but how can I make it better? How can I make my kids better? How can I make my family better? When we focus on service, we We'll see success, or if we focus on being just last, just being a servant and serving others, we'll find our place in first.